Hello, and welcome to the IBCD Care and Discipleship Podcast. I'm Bob Galsward, and with me is Jim Neuheiser, the Executive Director at IBCD and the Director of Christian Counseling Program at RTS Charlotte. Today, we're going to look at a short resource on the IBCD website that describes the AQs for when a counselee is ready to transition out of the counseling room and into the regular discipleship of a local church. Can you discuss those AQs and maybe even tie them back into a counseling situation? I think one important distinction to make from the beginning is the distinction between the kind of counseling you do for someone outside of your church who may be a member of another church as opposed to a person who is a member of your church. And the first thing for a person outside of the church would be they need to be a member of some solid evangelical church where they would have leadership who would be engaged in fulfilling Hebrews 13, 17, and 1 Peter 5 and shepherding these people as their sheep. So if it's in a counseling center situation or sometimes just a church has asked you to help with one of their members, I think it's really important to go through these principles with someone in leadership from their home church to make sure that they would be well cared for after you're done with them. Then you mentioned about the distinction between counseling and discipleship. And I love when George Scipione gave our organization its name for biblical counseling and discipleship. There really is a continuum. You think of counseling as kind of crisis counseling where the couple's had an affair or the teenage girl is cutting, uh, the teenage son has gone into total rebellion. You're helping people through a particular problem on a temporary basis to get them through that. And then over time, it shifts where it's kind of the ongoing discipleship and care every member of the church needs in a solid local church. I would add also that we often start over here with a couple, for example, Caroline and me, and it moves even beyond discipleship just to friendship where you hang out and then you just, the relationship never ends. You, you can't do that with everybody or you'd be overwhelmed. Uh, and so... But as you rightly said, that when you begin with somebody, you're hoping to get them to the point where they're functioning church members, not with perfect lives, but who are addressing the fundamental issues for which they came in, for which there was a significant difficulty or crisis. And, and the checklist of when to stop counseling, which is going to be posted on the website next to this podcast, lists some helpful guidelines. And it's not an exact You've got to have all these things rated 10 out of 10. But what kinds of things are you looking for to have a sense that you're ready to move on? And in some cases, it could even be like certain people in the church, men and women are dealing with intense crisis counseling situations, and they might be able to pass this person on to someone who would be more involved in ongoing discipleship so that the crisis counselor is now freed up to take on the next really hard situation. Uh, and, and so this list, I did not make the list, but uh, I think it's a great list, and it's kind of conventional biblical counseling wisdom. Uh, one would be that the counselee understands what caused the problem to begin with. And that means that you know if a person has been angry and abusive to their spouse, it's not just the behavior has stopped, but they've addressed the hard issues that led to this. James 4, what is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? It's the desires that wage war in your members. So you're not just dealing with surface behavior issues, but have, has the counselee understood the heart issues? And then 
the second one is, is the counseling become comfortable with new response patterns. And we actually have other homework we give for that where you get provoked and it could be sexual temptation, it could be abuse temptation, it could be substance misuse temptation. And have new patterns been established when you are faced with the temptation or the provocation that in your heart you speak truth to yourself and you have a pattern of responding both in your heart and outwardly in an appropriate way rather than the bad pattern you've established in the past. Are response patterns like habits or changes of behavior or is it more than that? Well, I would say it's a habit both of the mind and the heart as, as long as, along with the behavior. Uh, in Jay Adams' early writings, he wrote a lot about how God has made us that repeatedly, habitually doing something can lead to ongoing change where it gets easier and more customary. And, but we're not merely looking at the outward behavior. It's also, what do I think in my heart? What do I say my, to myself in my heart when someone provokes me? I've spent 40 years of my life justifying myself and saying horrible things to my heart that lead to the outbursts of anger. So I need to learn new things to say to my heart that will then lead to a gentle word coming out of me instead of a harsh word coming out of me. So I'd say it's a both and to your question. So Christ-like motivations uh, to behave from a pure heart, or at least a heart uh, focused on God. Right, and a concrete way of saying it would, you know, Lloyd-Jones would say, stop listening to yourself and start talking to yourself so that when temptation comes to repeat the old pattern, instead of just going on autopilot like you used to, you have a new pattern of speaking biblical truth to yourself in faith, which then governs your action, which gets to the next one, that it becomes automatic, that uh, you know, when the temptation, when the provocation comes, it could be you know, for a couple who have a habit of just disastrous fights, and you've been meeting with them for a while, and you've been teaching them biblical peacemaking, and they'll describe, well, this happened, and we started to go down the old road, then we remember we've been taught, and we prayed, and I got the log out of my eye, and she forgave me. And, and so when they're starting to respond, typically, in the way that you've been teaching them from the Word of God, it doesn't mean perfectly. Uh, it's not they'll never have an argument again. But now, I've used the analogy since I used to live in California, that instead of having eight-point earthquakes, you have two- and three-point earthquakes, and you know, they end more quickly uh, and not as deeply and maybe less frequently. You know, when I first read that automatically, does it uh, just happen that way? Or, you know, does it take time, a significant amount of time? Um, coming into counseling as a newbie, so to speak, right. and, and being taught this, you know, I often wondered is, you know, heart change certainly happens, but what is the process by which it happens or how long does it take? Um, yeah, I think that is part of the counseling process to train the person. I mean, part of it is to realize, like, if you let the sun go down in your anger, you're giving the devil an opportunity. So experiencing sinful anger is dangerous for your relationships and your own soul. And so learning that when you feel angry, when you, you can feel it coming on, you train yourself to say, in that moment, this is really important. I could do damage to our relationship. I could damage my relationship with God. I need to practice this new biblical way of thinking and acting. And so it is, some, I guess some people call it triggers or something, but you're, when the situation comes, it could be the person who on Friday night when he's coming home to the empty house because his wife has left him because he was a drunk and he's tempted to drink again because he's not have to go to work until Monday again. 
It's to be prepared for that moment and have something else to think and something else to do in place of the sinful pattern. Um, and then another principle on the list is that the, the counseling understands why he fails and how to correct it. And that's why I love a verse like James 4, what is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you that just is an example with anger, which I've been using quite a bit. It's when you get angry to know why you get angry. Other people can't make you angry. Other people can provoke you. But the scripture says it's your desires in your heart, your desire to have something that causes the sinful anger. And so you understand when I'm angry, I want something too much. It's not my wife's fault. It's not the fault of the traffic. I, I need to acknowledge I want something too much and I'm tempted to bring judgment upon the people who aren't doing things my way. And so that's why I keep failing. And as I look at it in, in a new and biblical way and learn to show grace as God has shown grace to me, uh, the pattern can be broken. And what's interesting about this point that I like um, is that it's not just, you know, we start at point A and we get to point B and it's a, it's a continual glide path, so to speak, you know, in getting to become um, our hearts focused on Christ and all that. There's starts and stops, it sounds like. There may be some failures along the way. Is that a, a correct sure. understanding? Yeah, and I mean, when we're saying when to stop counseling, I'm assuming, as I'm imagining cases I've had, that's ordinarily after many meetings. Mm. And sometimes a couple will go home and they've had a, they come back and they've had a great week, but then a week later they come back and they've had some setbacks and you've had to work through that with them. And so that's the question is when to stop counseling. I think some people stop counseling too quickly in the sense, well, they understand what they're supposed to do and they've done it a couple times. Well, they may need more care and follow-up than that. On the other hand, when counseling goes well, sometimes the counselees can be tempted to be dependent upon you, saying, I'm afraid to stop the counseling because things are working now because my wife knows that we're going to, and I know we're going to be accountable to you every week and Tuesday at 8 o'clock or whatever. And at some point has to come, typically, if you've got key, highly trained people in your church who can do this, where that intensity of relationship can't continue. We don't have enough elders or women who are highly trained that they can, every time they take somebody on, meet them once a week for the rest of their lives. So you're looking at when are they doing well enough that they can function more normally as a member of the church rather than a person who's in the intensive care unit. And maybe you could speak to you know, how a counselor should approach the, whether it's a couple or a counselee, um, when there starts and stops. I think, you know, if I think about um, my own counseling situations, um, I have a heart check that I don't want to be frustrated, right? Or you have a, a couple, a married couple, where one spouse is trying to be gracious and the other spouse has these stops and starts. Can you speak into that a little bit? Um, I mean, the situation you were describing where one is making good progress and the other one is not, then I think you're kind of drawing on your experience, thinking how can we help the one who's not making progress to move forward. One thing that would occur to me would be perhaps if it's the wife, then my wife would meet with her alone without the husband there. Some people can take admonition much better if their spouse with whom they sense they're at war isn't there to hear them take the hits. So things like that would be occurring to me based on my experience, what I know of the scriptures, how, how could I try to overcome if it's an ongoing failure, 
Of course, not everybody changes. Some people, you tell them the same thing, you pray for them, and one couple improves, and the couple remain in their sin, and Jesus gave excellent counsel to the rich young ruler, but he didn't take it. So that happens sometimes. In cases where there's a setback, I understand you're saying there's, there's a sense in which as a counselor, you're tempted to kind of get your identity and your worth and your successes, and then you feel wounded by what appears to be a failure. We have opportunity to exhibit the fruit of the Spirit, which includes patience, long-suffering. And I guess I've been around this so many times that I'm not very surprised when things deteriorate. I mean, I've had cases where I thought a couple went away after several sessions doing great, and then a year later, it's worse than ever. It's not because the Bible has failed. It could be I could have done a better job training them and preparing them for temptation. But sinners fail to do what the Bible says. The good news is God is very patient. Just as been, How many times have we failed and we keep going back to Him and He shows us grace? And you know, he doesn't chide us when we seek wisdom, even though we didn't listen last time. And so gives us an opportunity to reflect some of that patience to our counselees. And I would imagine it's a point of encouragement as well, uh, especially if they've made steps towards a renewed heart. Right. And also, sometimes they can feel hopeless, like, wow, we thought we were doing better, and now we don't like each other again. And that's not unusual, and we need to keep, you know, the Lord is going to help us, and I think sometimes people think if they have a problem, that the biblical answer must not work because they had a problem again. No, you just need, it's the same answer all over again. I love it in Psalm 42 and 43 where the psalmist complains three times about his problems, and in each case he gives the same answer just to look to the Lord, and the second time when he's down again, he doesn't find up a new answer. It's still trust in God, hope in Him, and then on in the next psalm, again, trouble's happening. Same answer, hope in God. Uh, maybe sometimes we weren't given the best answer from the Bible, but sometimes they just need the same biblical answer over and over again to help them in their weakness. Uh, one thing I like, especially talking about in terms of when do you think you're done, that is the fifth point on here is to have the counselee state how much they've changed. And a place we've done that that's been really a blessing would be sometimes we bring in an observer whom we're training. And I'll begin the session by having the couple just say, "Could you, you know, this person's here for the first time. Could you tell him what God has done in your life? And it's like a, a great celebration. And you hear them saying all the things back that you've been working with them on for months. And it gives them a chance to articulate and give glory to God for what God has done. A more common scenario would be you have them bring someone from their church. Now, in an ideal world, they would have been coming all along, but often it's towards the end when I'll give an assignment, look, you need to get someone from your church in here so that I can pass them on to you. It could even be somebody within your church who will be doing the ongoing discipleship when you move on to another crisis. And same thing, you have them describe what God has done, and, and you know things are well when the whole session is just this celebration. We were over here, we had no hope, and, and we have a harmony and a joy in our marriage that we never had in 20 years. And, and those are delightful sessions. I would be happy yeah. to have as many of those as possible. Is there, a, a, in, your, in your experience, um, the number of, of cases or counselees that you meet that get to that point versus the numbers that don't quite get to that point, or maybe are 
leaving for a little while and then coming back to counseling because they really haven't finished uh, the work? Yeah, um, I've divided the counseling over the years, both in the church and in the counseling center. I would say a third to a half do great, and it's just amazing. I would say there's another chunk that get absolutely nowhere. Rich young ruler, walk away sad, Cain doesn't listen, goes in and kills his brother. Those cases are usually pretty brief. <laughs> but then there's another chunk of a third, a fourth to a third, where you meet so many times and you think you're making some progress and then there's steps back and they still want to meet with you. And then those are maybe the hardest cases. The people who just come and reject what you have to say, it's a little bit sad, but it's the people you've met with many, many times and you're still not quite sure if they're getting anywhere. And there are other lists about what do you do when you think you're stuck. And uh, maybe that's a topic for another podcast sometime. Well, briefly, could you just talk about um, maybe not stuck, but somebody that isn't changing like you expect them to. Um, do you just keep going? Are there points in times where you right. stop? Right, so there are different possibilities. Uh, one possibility is they're not a believer, and there are people who can articulate the gospel who aren't really saved. Now, I'm really slow. I mean, there, I've known people who just as soon as somebody doesn't get it, oh, you must not be a Christian. But I have had times when after a very long period of absolutely no progress, no obedience, no really even response to the scriptures, the reason they're not growing is they may be dead. Uh, I think sometimes there might be somebody else that would connect better with this person, and another elder, another leader. Just some people click and connect better than others, so I would consider that. I think J. Adam has a list of like 50 failure factors in counseling, and I might read through that and come up with some other ideas. Sometimes I'll ask counselee, look, what do you think is lacking? Why do you think we're getting where? Often they say, oh, I think this is helping a lot. Um, but I think, you know, I tend to be very patient. But after many sessions, I will try to raise with the counselee gently, sort of, there's something you think I need to be doing better, there are issues you don't think are being addressed. Sometimes just a matter of you're thinking concretely that the guy still isn't going to church regularly. Sometimes it's, I won't meet with you again until you bring me the bulletin and notes from a sermon you listen to going to church. Uh, sometimes if someone's not getting anywhere, you give concrete assignments. Uh, you will read this book, you will listen to this audio and write down five things. Sometimes if they're doing nothing whatsoever all week long, then I will see you after you've done your homework. Um, some other things on our list of when you think you're ready would be when the counselor has been tested and been victorious. Uh, that's yeah, when the weekend came and he went and hung out with his Christian friends instead of getting drunk, or when the couple had a sharp disagreement and they remembered what they'd been taught and worked it out in a biblical peacemaking way. Uh, those will happen. You don't have to wait a long time for that to take place. Um, and another I think is good, when others have verified the change in the counselee, we use Proverbs 18, 17 a lot. The first to plead his case sounds right till someone else comes along and examines him. There are different perspectives. And if a man says, boy, I've, I'm no longer angry, bring in his wife and his kids. <laughs> and, and sometimes they'll say, I don't know what you did to my husband, but thank you. Uh, other cases is, you know, I, I want to be kind, but I don't see any change at all. So if someone has been transformed by the Word of God and the Gospel is impacting their heart. It should be visible to others. That's a great way 
of verifying this. And then uh, the eighth is when the counselee essentially starts counseling others. And I've seen that too. I've had concrete examples, especially of, of couples who had massive conflict problems. And as God enabled them to make peace in a biblical way, to humble themselves, to be gracious, to forgive, they've been involved with other couples and have made that a big part of their own personal ministry. And, and part of it can be telling their story along with sharing those biblical truths. And so another thing I've often seen is counselees will start talking to friends and coworkers and people in church saying, boy, this has really helped me in this way. And when we were counseling so much at IBCD, we never advertised. People came in really just through word of mouth. Is When people are being helped, they tell others and, and they come. And so you would hope that when people have been helped, they'll be sharing that with others and trying to bring that kind of help to other people. Yeah, it reminds me of the enthusiasm somebody might have when they become a new believer uh, and have received the grace of Christ. And this is the grace of Christ further on in their life and their sanctification that they're sharing with others as well. Yeah, like in John 4, the woman at the well, she goes into town, not that she was a person who was necessarily an influencer in that community in light of her situation being multiple husband. She said, come see this man who told me everything I ever did. That when she had been impacted this way, and there are other cases when Jesus healed people and delivered people, they're out telling everybody. And it's not we, it's Jesus who heals these people's spiritual issues. And so it is appropriate that they give glory to God and tell others what God has done for them and try to bring that help to others. Today, really what we've been talking about primarily is when to stop counseling due to success. What are the positive qualities that you want to see in a counselor that you know they're ready to move from kind of crisis emergency room counseling to being ordinary functioning members of the local church who all of us need discipleship and would get the ordinary care and discipleship that a, a church member would get. Um, there are other times we have to stop counseling because the counselee doesn't change. And we, we've talked about that a bit as well, that sometimes as just stewards of our own time, when someone is not obedient to the Word of God and they're hard-hearted, we can't continue to cast our pearls before swine. Usually, when we bring the Word of God to someone who doesn't want to change, they leave on their own because they don't want to hear it. it makes The darkness hates the light. Sometimes people, for whatever reason, still want a bunch of your time. And some of that is where I was talking earlier, where you say, I can't meet with you again until you do this assignment, you go to church, you make this progress. And there have been a handful of cases where I just said, I don't think I'm getting anywhere. And if they're in your church, you have a lot more responsibility. If they're not in your church, it's where you pass them back, say, I've done what I can, and this is your sheep, here's what I see is going on. But I, there are times when, if you've seen the movie Groundhog Day, some, there's some cases where you feel like you're in Groundhog Day. And I've realized, I think, I've made the mistake of kind of having the same session over and over again where there hasn't been change. I think just in terms of stewardship, especially of our time, and to some extent the time of, of the counselee, you have to find a gracious way to extricate yourself from that situation as well. And if they are in your church, um, what do you do? Because they are still a church member and you haven't seen the change. Is there anything else that you would 
do at that point? That is a great question, Bob. Uh, it depends on the problem. In some cases, the problem is mediocrity. That they're not doing something that's so plainly scandalous that it would rise to the level of church discipline. This person continues to struggle with sinful anxiety, but they're not getting drunk, popping pills. They're just weak. So some cases you'll be counseling someone and they remain in this weak state. Or they, they still struggle with anger, but it's not violent. They still struggle with lust, but you know it's not fully adulterous or whatever. And so there can be cases where I think because they're your sheep, you can't get rid of them and you're still trying to help them even though the progress is just glacially slow. There can be other cases where where there's not repentance. It can be a matter where then you're in Matthew 18 and you have to bring others in and bring discipline. That's why it's good to have a plurality of elders to help you work through these situations in case, you know, what cases warrant action by the session or the elder board. And then what are situations where you know this is weak? This, this couple has a mediocre marriage. They're not throwing things at each other. They're not screaming at each other. But it's not what it should be. And we're, so we're providing ongoing care but we haven't seen, you know, again, it's not disastrous, but we've not seen the progress. I've given the analogy, some marriages are just like they've constantly got a cold or the flu. And they're not dying, but you sure wish you could help them. And, and there are cases in the local church where that doesn't change quickly. And you're pleading with God to help them and you're caring for them as best you can. Well, thank you, Jim. Thank you for teaching me and teaching our audience. And thank you for tuning into this episode. If you'd like to hear more, please go to ibcd.org slash cdcpodcast.